Well, let's just get right to it. Some of you may have looked in your bulletin at the title for today's sermon and thought to yourself, what is this kid getting into? It's Mother's Day. It should be about puppies and, and, and fluffy, nice things. And the sermon title is Motherhood is War. You may not have expected that sermon title when you came in. I didn't actually even think about how abrupt that might seem in a Mother's Day bulletin until later. And the sermon passage that we read um, may not be the typical Mother's Day sermon passage. But I want you to rest assured I was prayerful about what passages to bring to you this morning on Mother's Day. Um, It's my first Mother's Day in the pulpit. So I was prayerful about it. And as I looked into the Bible for what it said about motherhood, I couldn't escape the fact that biblically, motherhood is a battleground. It really is. And the more I studied that, the more my eyes I felt like were open to what motherhood is biblically. So, here we go. <laughs> motherhood is war. That's our topic this morning. You might be really happy to get out of here and go eat lunch with your family after this. But it is. It's a battleground that has been from the beginning. We are going to look at a lot of Bible today. And you can flip with me if you would like to. Um, I'm not always going to give a lot of time to get to each passage since there are so many passages I want to share with you this morning. Um, But feel free to flip with me if you'd like or to listen intently if you'd like. But I want to start, as I often do, near the beginning. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28. Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28. It says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God created the heavens and the earth, the waters and the fish in the water and the birds and the plants and the trees and the stars and the sun and the moon. And the climax of it all is man and woman. So he created man and woman as the climax of everything. And what's the first thing he says to them? Can any of you mothers or fathers remember the first thing you said To your children when they were born. Lillian was only born a couple of months ago. And I cannot remember what the first thing I said to her was. And I definitely cannot remember what the first thing I said to Elias was. And hopefully I'm not just a terrible father. There's probably others in here that don't remember. Uh, It's probably something like, what's up? I don't know. But God does everything very purposefully. So the first thing recorded that he says to man and woman is probably pretty important. The first thing he says to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Be fruitful and multiply, filling the earth. He's not talking about mathematics. He's talking about childbearing, multiplication of people. He's talking about motherhood and fatherhood. Motherhood and fatherhood We're at the very central primary focus of of it all in the beginning. It was a part of the original plan, part of the perfect plan. And we're going to talk a lot today about motherhood. A lot of what we're going to study is also going to translate into fatherhood. 
So if I say motherhood, sometimes you can use your discretion. It'll mean fathers too. Uh, But mainly since it's Mother's Day, we're going to talk about motherhood. So motherhood and fatherhood are a primary component in God's design. I mean, he could have filled the earth by just creating more people. I mean, he's God. He's got time. It's called eternity. He's got the ability. But he chose through motherhood and fatherhood to do it. So that's our first point. But to really get this, we need to back up a little bit further. I'm going to read from Isaiah 43, verse 6. What is the purpose for humanity even being here? Why did he even create mankind in the first place? That's the question we want to answer. From Isaiah 43, 6 and 7. It says... Bring back my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name and whom I have created for my glory. I've created for my glory. He created for his glory. He created man and woman for his glory. To praise him, to worship him, to trust him, to obey him, to put their confidence in him. To live their lives in a Godward direction. This is the kind of people Adam and Eve were created to be. And they began being this type of people, the type of people who revere God. So their first task as these God-honoring, God-glorifying people was to multiply and through motherhood and fatherhood develop more of these people. And to fill the whole earth with people who would glorify, worship, obey, have confidence in, revere, fear God. That was the program. That, That was the plan. That's why earth is so big. He wanted a full of people who would know him and would worship him in his glory. I'm going to read two other quick little verses about this. Numbers 14, 21 says, But indeed, as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. This is priority for him. Fill the earth with his glory. One more quick verse from Habakkuk. I know most of you probably did your devotions this morning in Habakkuk. This will be embarrassing if I can't find Habakkuk. And this is the Bible that I know best. Where is it? Who knows the books of the Bible rap and can sing it? Some of you, Emma, you know it. Come on. This is a moment of pastoral humility here. I told you last week I'm no different from you. Habakkuk is hard to find. There it is. Habakkuk 2.14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Like the sea has water, God wants the earth to have people who are full of the knowledge of his glory. Are you tracking along with me so far? This was his plan in the beginning with Adam and Eve. To, to fill the earth with people Living for His glory. Be fruitful and multiply, filling the earth. This was the original assignment. And it had motherhood at its core. So there's something eternally significant about motherhood. Okay? So, as many of you know, things didn't go real well shortly after Adam and Eve were created. Something happened that we call the fall. It was the first sin. 
God gave them the choice if they wanted to live this way. They chose another route. We call it the fall because it changed everything forever. It just messed everything up because they chose badly. And that brings us to the passage that we read at the beginning in Genesis chapter 3. What I read in the beginning happens just after they messed up, just after they sinned. God comes walking through the Garden of Eden looking for them. He calls out, he finds them. He says, what is it that you guys have done? It all gets put out in the open. They ate from the tree they weren't supposed to. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's all over. And there's two things I want us to notice from this passage I read in the beginning. From the consequences of their sin. And I'm going to read verses 15 and 16 again. He's telling them what's going to, what's going to happen to them now that they've done this. Genesis 3, 15 and 16. And I will put enmity between you, meaning the serpent, Satan, and the woman, meaning Eve. And between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. And to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children. Yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. There's two things I want us to notice from this. Two very important things. I'm going to take them in reverse order. Notice in verse 16. Isn't it interesting that the consequences of the fall hit woman right smack in motherhood? Of all the ways it could have affected her, and it affected her in a lot of ways, but the way that God declares that it will affect her is all about motherhood. Have you ever noticed that? This was somewhat eye-opening for me. Childbirth and the bringing forth of children will from that point on be painful. Mothers can, can describe much better than I can that this is true. We know the Bible's true. Here's another example. of it. Childbirth is painful. Apparently before the fall, it wasn't painful. I guess it was a very pleasant thing. I cannot picture what that would have looked like. Apparently it was nice. On a Sunday afternoon, you'd go forth and pop out some kids. and It was easy. But because of sin, multiplying, being fruitful, and filling the earth is now a painful task. It was a joyful task. Now it's a painful task. I don't think there's any mothers in here that would disagree with that point from the Scripture. So why bring this up on Mother's Day? Why talk about all this on Mother's Day? The reason why is... I talked with our youth about this this morning. I I should have researched it, but I don't really know where Mother's Day came from. My suspicion is almost always that greeting card companies made it up to sell greeting cards. I don't know if that's true necessarily. That's my suspicion. But we celebrate it, and we celebrate in our churches. And I wanted with the sermon to get down to the bottom of what's so honorable about motherhood. And as I dug into it a lot... A lot. Motherhood is tied into huge, eternal, important, pivotal things. And it's breathtakingly significant as you study the scriptures. So now, every time you mothers have children, the pain of it is a constant reminder that we are sinful people living in a sinful, sin-wrecked world. And now our duty to multiply and fill the earth with with children who will grow to adults who will worship and obey and glorify God is painful. It's painful. It's scary. I would not have children if I were a woman. I don't want to. 
That's on the very top. Of, I have a long list of reasons I'm glad I'm a male. And that's at the very top. It's painful. As joyful as Elias and Lillian's arrivals were, it was surrounded by pain. Most joyful days and probably the most painful days for Meredith that she's ever had. Now the second thing I want us to, to notice is back in verse 15. Look at verse 15. And I will put enmity between you, meaning Satan, and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. And he, he shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. The second thing I want us to notice, first off, just the, the act of childbearing and fulfilling our, our, our role of multiplying and filling the earth is now painful. The second thing I want us to notice is that a war has broken out. Here in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, there is a conflict that has broken out. And the conflict is taking place in and all around motherhood. When it says your seed and his seed, it's talking about your descendants, your children and your children's children through the generations. That's what it's talking about. There's a battle going on, and it's going to be decided by one of Eve's children. One of Eve's children's 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 children. Now I want to go ahead and spoil the ending for you. This is a prophecy, and it's referring to Jesus. God's saying, this is all messed up now. It's going to be this way. It's going to be painful to have children. All these other things are going to be wrong. But through a child of Eve's, down through the generations... Through this act of motherhood, I'm going to bring deliverance. And he's going to crush Satan under his heel. Now, if you don't think this sounds very much like war, if war sounds like a harsh word to be in the Mother's Day Bulletin, because here it just says there will be enmity between you. Let's go to another passage. I would like you to flip to this one. This one's in the book of Revelation, all the way over on the other side of the Bible. Revelation Chapter 12. I'm going to read this whole chapter. If you don't think that war is an appropriate word to discuss on Mother's Day, let me just read this chapter. And as you're flipping there, Revelation is a, can be a difficult book to understand. Don't try to understand everything in this. It's very apocalyptic and, and it's prophecy. It's a vision that John is recording. But let's just read this. This is in reference to the conflict we were just talking about in verse 15 of Genesis 3. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and on her head a crown of twelve stars. And she was with child. And she cried out, being in labor and in pain to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven. And behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns. And on his heads were seven diadems. And his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God, so that there she would be nourished. For 1,260 days. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war. And they were not strong enough. And there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down. And the serpent of old who is called the devil and Satan. Who deceives the whole world. 
He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He who accuses them before our God day and night. And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when faced with death. For this reason rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, knowing that he has only a short time. And when the dragon saw that he was thrown down to earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman so that she could fly into the wilderness to her place where she was nourished for a time and times and a half a time from the presence of the serpent. And the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman so that he might cause her to be swept away with the flood. But the earth helped the woman and the earth opened his mouth and drank up the river which the dragon poured out of his mouth. So the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and hold the testimony of Jesus. This is Lord of the Rings times a thousand epic, spiritual, eternally significant warfare language. I don't pretend to understand everything in that that chapter, but I know that this is big war language. Serious Language. Motherhood is a battleground, and it always has been. I mean, isn't it interesting that both the Old Testament and the New Testament begin with a story about a mother, Eve, and then Mary? God chose and continues to choose motherhood as a primary avenue to work in the world, and thus Satan chose and continues to choose motherhood as a primary target for his work in the world. Let me say that again. God chose and continues to choose motherhood as a primary avenue for his work in the world, and thus Satan targets motherhood correspondingly for his work in the world. Because motherhood, the bringing forth of children, God's avenue to bring life into the world, Satan hates it. And there are casualties in this war. There were casualties a couple of times in Scripture that I want to highlight. I'm not even going to go to those Scriptures. I'll just just talk about it. In Exodus, everybody heard of Moses. He was the big deliverer in the book of Exodus. Anybody remember what was happening when he was born? They were killing children. That's why his mom had to put him in the basket. And, and get tar on it so it would be waterproof and float it down the river. She was just hoping, you know, I know if I keep my son on land, they're going to kill him. They're killing all the male children. I'm just going to hope God will protect him. And God did. He was faithful to his people, and, and he rose up a deliverer in Moses. But when he was born, children were being killed. Can you remember another time in history that an important person was born and children were being killed? Yeah, Jesus. When Jesus was born... Children were being killed. Now there's something that must happen to us to kill children. Satan was at work killing children. He knew important things were going on. He was killing children. 
Can you think of another time in history when children were being killed? I remember, you know, when I was in college, we were going to kind of a mega church. And I went upstairs to talk to our college pastor. It was such a big church that our college group was a couple hundred people. It was a church within itself. And I can't really remember what it was about, but I went to talk to our college pastor. I thought a lot of him. He was very passionate. And whatever I talked to him about, he had another agenda. He was like a mad scientist with his whiteboard and had all this stuff written out. I I didn't really look to see what it all was. But he was developing this theory that biblically, whenever an important thing was about to happen to a person who's going to be born, that children were being killed. Massacre. And he worked it all the way up to modern time. And he had all the stats about abortion. And he was saying that never in history have we been killing so many children as now. He's like, something big is coming. I don't know about his theory exactly. But I do know that that God's word teaches that he skillfully and wonderfully and carefully creates the children who are aborted. This isn't a sermon about abortion. But we have to talk about it. Because this is a huge aspect in how motherhood is war. I know that God's word teaches that he has an intimate knowledge of and care for and purpose for the children who are aborted. Some studies, and I know that I never know how accurate these studies are because it's hard to find how they got the information. But I think they're at least close to the truth. Some studies show that one out of every three babies conceived in our country is killed through abortion. A third. I've heard that it's the most frequently performed surgery in our country. Something, something's going on here. Something is going on here. And I want to be sensitive because with the statistics being what they are, I'm confident that there are people in the sanctuary who have had some contact with abortion. I'm not up here as a judgmental preacher. But I have to be clear. I have to be clear. All I have is this book. And I have to be clear that killing children through abortion is murder. I'm a murderer too. Because the Bible is also clear that if you hate your brother, it's the same as murder. Nobody here needs to feel self-righteous if they've not had any contact with abortion. It took just as much of Jesus' blood to cleanse our sins as anyone else's. I know it's a hot-button issue, and I don't want to dwell on it because there are other sins too. And I want to be equally clear about this. God, through Jesus Christ, has made a way for any of you who have had any hand in abortion to be forgiven, to be cleansed, to go to bed with a clear conscience, to have confidence in your salvation. But clearly, there is a war going on and there are casualties all around us. Motherhood is a battleground. Now, I know Mother's Day should be full of warm fuzzies. And the cards are pleasant and they have watercolor paintings on the front and limericks on the inside. And that is great. I have no problem with that. And Mother's Days are full of pleasant meals with family. But I'm confronted biblically with the fact that a mother's life... Is full of conflict. It's hard. This is what we talked about in Sunday school. It's hard to be a mom. 
And there's a reason for that. The conflict has deep roots. The enemy does not want mothers joyfully, effectively bringing forth children, filling the earth with people who are going to give glory to God. He does not want that. It's a battle. And it doesn't end when the child is delivered. Remember that God, God doesn't just want the earth full of people. He wants the earth full of people who will live for His glory, who will live trusting Him, being obedient to Him, putting their confidence in Him. These are the kind of people He wants. This is the kind of motherhood that He wants. It isn't enough simply to just have children. And the battle isn't only to have children. It's to have children and then train them up in the way they should go, like Proverbs 22, 6 says. In Deuteronomy 6, 7, it teaches that mothers and fathers should teach their children God's word and talk about it everywhere all the time when they sit down, when they rise up, when they eat, when they walk along the way. This is the kind of motherhood God is is fighting for us to have. And this is the kind of motherhood that Satan does not want us to have. And that's why it's so hard. And some of you might be hearing these things and thinking, well, I love my kids, but I don't know if I'm training them up in the way they should go. I don't know if they're growing to trust God with all their heart. I don't know if they're growing to love Him with all their heart and to put their confidence in Him. And you try so hard. I know you do. This is spiritual motherhood. And guess what? You don't even have to be married to be a spiritual mother. By the way, this is kind of an aside. In Titus 2, it teaches about how older women should be spiritual mothers, basically, to younger women. See, something interesting happens. This is totally an aside here, kind of a sidetrack, but I want to mention it. Something interesting happens when Jesus comes. Yes, in in the beginning, marriage was normal. That was a normal, it was the given thing, this is what you're going to do. And having kids was normal. But when Jesus came, something happened that enabled Paul to be able to say, I wish everybody was like me. He was a single guy. Because when you're single, you can, can serve God wholeheartedly. You're not concerned about what's going on here in the world with, you know, wifely stuff. Something happened with Jesus that shifted the focus to the spiritual family. I just want to say that for single folks in here and folks without children... You're not left out. Through Jesus, we're a spiritual family. And spiritual motherhood is something that all women are called to. Okay, close parentheses there. (laughs) Being fruitful and multiplying and filling the earth with God-glorifying people through motherhood is hard. Painfully difficult war. Satan wars against it. Culture wars against it. Our own sinfulness wars against it. Being a mom isn't just a a happy stork flying a baby in a sheet and dropping it down our chimney or whatever happens with the stork thing. I haven't even seen the stork in a long time. Maybe that's over. Maybe people don't even think about that anymore. It's not that. It's more like grabbing your kids and charging the beach on D-Day. And you mothers know in your hearts that it's true. I really, I mean, I think that you, you would. I'm not a mom. The role you have is hard. And it's so important. And I think that women feel the weight of how hard it is and how important it is. The concern and the fears 
and the dangers you know are out there for your children. And the frustrations as the enemy and the culture and everything makes it so difficult to train your children up to be God-glorifying people. Especially single mothers. And kind of another side, we'll put this side over here. There are unmarried single mothers and there are married single mothers. And you're thinking, what's he talking about married single mothers? I'm very aware, this is a message mainly to the women, but that lots of married couples, there's really only one person doing the parenting, and that's the mother. And that's pretty much single motherhood. And the father's just not really involved. And all the weight's on the mom. That happens so much more often than the other way around. And single parenthood happens so often where it's the mom raising the child compared to how often it is with the dad raising the child. Satan is against it. Culture is against it. You try to teach your, teach your child to, instead of having self-esteem and building himself up and thinking that he's great, but to think that God is great and to have God-esteem and to have faith in Him and not in what's inside. You try to teach your children that and then send them off to public schools and, and turn Oprah on for five minutes and see how long it takes for that to be washed away. It's hard to teach our children to have faith in God. It's hard for us to do it. Now, I hope your mothers aren't just feeling like totally overwhelmed at this point. But I did not feel like it would be honoring to you to preach a sermon filled with greedy card sentimentality when the Bible is so much more serious about your role and your task. It's so serious, it's so important. We should honor you, and we should pray for you, and we should support you with everything that we have, because it is war. Now, in light of all this, in light of all this truth from God's Word, I'd like for our mothers to stand once again. And I want to read a passage. This is just for you mothers. This comes from Ephesians chapter 6. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, mothers, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. You need the truth. You need the truth. And God's word is truth. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Understand the gospel. Be ready with the gospel. Take your footsteps on the gospel. The gospel is everything. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. All the flaming arrows of the evil one. You can extinguish with the shield of faith in God through the truth found in His Word. And I know that mothers are the target of a lot of flaming arrows from the evil one. A lot of worries, a lot of anxieties, a lot of insecurities, a lot of questions. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This is my prayer for you mothers today. I know this has been more intense than a typical Mother's Day sermon. But what you do is intense. 
It is. And I hope that today is pleasant and wonderful for you. Because you need it. So now everyone's still sitting. These are our mothers. Let's honor them, not just today, but every day of the year. Because they're living in a battleground. 